Hello there, and greetings to you. Welcome to Duel of the Takes, the movie and pop culture podcast that pins the wildest, most unpopular opinions head to head. This week's topic of debate is a ranking-style challenge to determine the order of all the Harry Potter movies from worst to best. My name's Nathaniel Martin, and I am joined by my regular co-hosts, Joshua Kubis, Alden Mason, and Jory Boston. Let the games begin. Today we've got something pretty spicy coming. If you liked our Pixar video, this one's for you. This is ranking all eight Harry Potter movies. Um, so the way this is going to work is we're all going to go off of our list until we get to the top three. And uh, whoever's up is going to just say what movie they think belongs in that spot. All of us have one veto that we can use up until the top three. And if you use a veto, you get to nominate a new movie for that spot. And everyone else gets to vote whether they think the new movie that you've nominated or the original goes in its place. That should make things a little less complicated than last time. Yeah. Nate didn't grow up with anyway, Harry Potter. Anyway, I'll go first because I care the least about the Harry Potter franchise. Not saying that I don't like these movies, but... So my number eight is Deathly Hallows Part 1. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to argue. Hmm. That's um, only one place off from where I have Deathly Hallows 1, so I find it a little hard to argue with. The weird thing is, with Deathly Hallows Part 1 and Part 2, I like both of those movies a lot, and there's very little I absolutely despise about Part 1. The only problem is it feels really slow, and it feels really boring, and I get that the movie and the book that the movie's based off of is extremely long, that they wanted to break it up into two to give, you know, the, the amazing cast its due screen time and not have to rush any major elements. I love the animated section explaining what the Deathly Hollows uh, is. I think that little, you know, six or seven minute section is really awesome. And I also really like how um, they handle like uh, Dobby's passing. Like there's a lot of really like memorable moments in that movie. But in general, I feel like there could just be a, a tighter cut with both the movies together and skip about half of the first Deathly Hallows movie. Like, I think it was a very change of pacing for the franchise. I think it's a lot slower, slower pace than the, than the other films, especially Half-Blood Prince was right before this. And, but I felt like as somebody who just watched them back to back, like rewatching them, um, it felt like kind of nice to slow down a little bit in the series and just have a lot of uh, character development between our trio because this was, they're together of course in part two, but this is kind of the last time they're all taking a lot of screen time together. And I do appreciate part one when it comes to that factor, just uh, kind of building up the characters right before the grand finale. That's also part of my problem with the movie is they're not within the four walls of Hogwarts almost at all in the movie. And I know, oh, it's like the later movies and the stakes are much higher than going to class and school and things like that. But that to me is a lot of the charm of the Harry Potter movies. And there's none of the, that charm in this movie. And it feels almost too gritty for what it is. At the end of the day, it's a story about wizards and witches. It's like really cheesy and when they try to take it too seriously, I don't understand how the stakes affect the other people of the world. I only understand how it affects the wizards and things like that. I just wish it embraced what it is a little more. 
coming off of Deathly Hallows 1, I just watched Half-Blood Prince and Deathly Hallows 1 right before we started recording. So they're the freshest in my mind right now. And I think that they kind of shoot themselves in the foot a little bit with what you were saying with the stakes, because this is a smaller thing, but in Half-Blood Prince, there, there is a scene where the burrow, uh, the home of the Weasleys, is attacked by Death Eaters, Bellatrix Lestrange, and the other werewolf dude whose name I'm blanking on, Fenrir Greyback, that's his name. Um, but the burrow is attacked in that movie, and then they go back to Hogwarts like nothing ever happened, and they're like, oh, this is dangerous, Harry, da 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 da, da. But then in Deathly Hallows 1, um, we are at Bill Weasley and Fleur Delacour's wedding, I believe. And the same thing happens after the Minister of Magic leaves. They are attacked by Death Eaters, and then Harry, Ron, and Hermione go on the run and start hunting down Horcruxes and all that. But then also, after they perform the little heist at the Ministry and get the locket from Umbridge, uh, they're on the run for almost the whole movie after that. And we don't really see the consequences of Voldemort or the Death Eaters rise to power. And I think that this is an issue with the whole series, but if they dropped the ball anywhere in particular, they really did it with Deathly Hallows 1. There are long stretches where it's just Harry, Ron, and Hermione walking across landscapes and listening to the names of dead people on radio, where we see nothing but these landscapes that they're walking on. And I feel like that was a real missed opportunity to show us what the actual consequences of uh, Voldemort's reign were happening on the world, because it would have lent a lot of weight to what our heroes were doing. We didn't necessarily need to see them dragging their feet and being alone like this. And I think that that would have fixed up a lot of what Nate is saying and making it seem a little less ridiculous with how seriously they were taking the story, but also driving point home the point that they were trying to make. But then again, Deathly Hallows 1 does have a lot going on in it that I forgot about because of how uh, long they like to drag out those scenes like that. Like they have the whole scene in Godric's Hollow where Harry's attacked by Nagini uh, who's disguised herself as an old woman, which is, I think, like a pretty fun scene. Nothing really that important happens in it, if I'm remembering right, but it's thrilling nonetheless. The scene where Ron destroys the locket, I think, is very well done, as well as the uh, Malfoy Manor escape. When they're getting chased by the um, by the guys in the forest, that's like one of the very few. Uh sequences with shaky cam that i actually really like and thought it was really well done because they're they didn't add any music to it and i think that felt uh felt a little more anxious watching it i thought it was pretty good yeah there's a lot to like in deathly hallows one but i completely understand it making the bottom of the list here there's a lot of places where it feels like they really could have done something here especially if they were going to split up the story like this it feels like there is a lot of time that they're just wasting yeah it just doesn't feel like a complete movie and Every other movie on here, even if I don't think it's as memorable or as um, as good, I think they all have a clear beginning, middle, and end. And that's what I think really works about the Harry Potter movies is you didn't have to wait for the next one to come out to feel satisfied. At the end of all these movies, sure, you're wanting more, but at least all the like pl plot points they bring up get resolved and nothing gets resolved at the end of this one. Unless you were Josh and you were just really hoping Dobby would die. I quite like Dobby in uh part two or part one more than uh Chamber. Dobby's a little more self-aware and 
uh, Deathly Hallows Part 1. Like, he's, like, a funny little guy. But I do. Yeah, and he's actually doing things to, like, help the main protagonist. Dude, I don't know what you're talking about. Dobby's, like, one of the best. I love Dobby so much, but I can't disagree with Josh um, when he says that he didn't really do anything to help Harry. In the first half of Chamber of Secrets, everything bad that's happening <laughs> to Harry is Dobby's fault. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of funny, but I still love Dobby. All right, um, Josh, you're up with number seven. All right, so my number seven is Half-Blood Prince. I'm going to hit that with a veto, and I'm going to say I think that Order of the Phoenix deserves to be here more than Half-Blood Prince does. I have Order of the Phoenix at my number seven, so I'd agree with you. Um, so I'm, I'm voting for Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, mine's one off of that. Yeah, I mean, Order of the Phoenix was my number uh, six. Yeah. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't move much. <laughs> yeah, that's where mine is. It's David Yates' first time directing the series, and it really shows. I wasn't aware of that when I was... David Yeats. David Yeats. David Yeats, the entire story of Order of the Phoenix, which, to be honest, wasn't a great story in the first place, but I feel like there was just so much more that they could have done with it. I just feel like it's the most unnecessary story out of the entire, like, franchise. Like, this is a long series. It's seven entries long, eight if we're just talking about the movies, but none of them really feel inconsequential until we get to Order of the Phoenix, which coming off of Goblet of Fire, I felt was a huge sin, especially as good as Goblet of Fire is. The tone of Half-Blood Prince is what could have made Order of the Phoenix great, even if you don't really like how it's handled in Half-Blood Prince because the higher stakes don't really match up with the comedy that they're going for. I think the lower stakes of Order of the Phoenix could have been helped out by that, by at least making the movie entertaining, but oh well. Yeah, I feel like Order of the Phoenix is just, like, it's a really hard book to adapt, whereas most of the other Harry Potter books are really easy to adapt because so much of it is really just about the conflict of is Voldemort returning and, I guess, Dumbledore being removed as the headmaster, which are very, like, political kind of in the world of Harry Potter, Order of the Phoenix was the one that made me stop reading the series for two years. It has 870 pages, and Deathly Hollows, the conclusion, the one that was split up into two movies, has uh, 759. So it's got almost 50 more pages and is not anywhere near as interesting or as captivating as Deathly Hollows. Yeah, I would agree entirely as somebody else who's read all the books. Josh, do you have a... Uh case for why Half-Blood Prince should take the seventh spot? Uh, I think both of these movies that we're debating are um, have flaws in different ways. I th- ultimately, I chose Half-Blood Prince lower. Be, um, the entire um, overarching theme of that movie seems uh, just doesn't seem there. As we've talked about this before, Jory, where the ending of Half-Blood Prince, when Snape is revealed to be the Half-Blood Prince, it's very underwhelming and doesn't feel like it means anything. And that's the name of the movie. And also, the uh, the movie's very ugly. Uh, I don't know whose decision that was. Maybe just because the book cover is like a, a dark green, they wanted to... Yeah, they wanted to do like this greenish tint for the whole movie, but it was, it was just really ugly and thought it was just a really 
bad decision aesthetically wise. Um, yeah, they go with the same choice almost in Deathly Hallows 1 and 2, but they clean it up a little bit. But I do think that it was an ill-informed decision to go with that for the entirety of Half-Blood Prince. Because it was crazy watching it back to back and then going into part one. I'm like, holy shit, let there be light. I'm getting <laughs> I'm getting all this like color again. You know what else kind of does that too? The third Lord of the Rings movie has a lot of green in it as well. I think it was just because like the ghost armies in it, but like the poster is like bright green. Like there's a lot of shots of Aragorn with green hints before he even revives the ghost army. It's like, damn, you guys really were hyped about using these holographic green ghosts, weren't you? <laughs> Maybe that's what it was. Maybe David Yates was like, this will be our best picture bid. <laughs> Let's make it green. Well, also, David Fincher's known for having a lot of green tints in his movies, and this was in between two of his biggest movies in terms of uh, Academy Award success, uh, being Zodiac and uh, Social Network. Did David Fincher shadow direct Half-Blood Prince? <laughs> and, then, and then Disney was like, oh, Dead Man's Chest, uh, The Flying Dutchman's going to be green. Our posters are going to be green. Well, also, it might all be because of Shrek. It all connects back. You're right. Maybe Alden was right. Maybe Shrek 2 should have been our number one. Maybe Shrek 2 is the most influential. I, I still think so. Jory, it's your pick for number six. What do you think should be the sixth best Harry Potter movie? The sixth best Harry Potter movie? I have uh, Deathly Hallows 2 on my list. Whoa, that's that's a hot take. I, I, was that a hot take? Uh no, I also have it. I think it's I think it's fine so there actually. I think it's fine. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna veto. As much as I like Deathly Hallows, as much as I like Deathly Hallows two as a conclusion to the series, it's still far from my favorite movie. Yeah, I'm gonna veto it. As much as I like Deathly Hallows two, um, I do like it more than Deathly Hallows one and uh, Order of the Phoenix. I don't think that it's as big a conclusion or as good a movie as a whole to dethrone the rest of what I consider to be like the definitive Harry Potter movies, the ones that made me love the series in the first place and kept me going to get to this point. Uh, as far as Deathly Hallows 2 goes from what I can remember it, of it right now, you've got the Gringotts heist, which was very cool. I liked that a lot. And then you go into the Battle of Hogwarts pretty quickly after that. Harry, Ron, and Hermione end up back at Hogwarts, and they're looking for Rowena Ravenclaw's uh, Lost Diadem, which is one of the last Horcruxes that they have before they can finally defeat Voldemort. And then it goes into a huge battle right after that. And it's cool. It's great. But I feel like there's not as much... Um, there's not as much fun to be had, and that does come from where it's at in the series. And I think that the uh, beginning is great, and I think that it's a good movie all overall. But that's where we're at for me. I really love all of these movies, and this is just the one that I like the least. I think I, I, think I said to you before that this movie feels like it's uh, two acts. It doesn't feel like a full three. And um, something... I even felt this the first time I saw it in theaters where I wasn't just 100% satisfied. And I don't know how to exactly explain that. There was a lot of things that I found underwhelming about it, but 
it's still I mean it's still still really good and I think they did a lot of great things in it but even rewatching it uh over the years something still feels lacking as a conclusion maybe that's because they split Deathly Hallows into two parts but something just doesn't feel totally complete with that movie for me the reason I'm vetoing Deathly Hallows part two is personally I really bought the um conclusion I was fine with the way the movie wrapped up and I thought that you know the the pacing of the movie and stuff like that is isn't ideal I I understand that it, it does just feel like a second act the entire movie just feels like this continuation you don't really have any of those charming like character moments and and the development that the series is known for but i think <clears throat> i think that's why i like it so much as a conclusion is you can tell that all these character arcs are coming to an end and i really like the way that certain scenes are directed and certain scenes are handled i love snape's redemption arc and i know that's a very controversial thing especially if we're talking from book to screen adaptation is it yeah i i know plenty of people that hate snape's redemption really yeah i've heard a lot against it too wow yeah i think that's the best scene of the movie and i think perhaps why people still go back to these movies besides the fond memory of growing up with them is the fun things that they see pay off in this movie that they can go back and rewatch in those those staple uh, Harry Potter movies, like the first four that everyone goes back and rewatches. And I agree with you, Jory, that I do like the more fun and games kind of Harry Potter movies. But I think this is the finally the finally the one that decided to up the stakes and keep those stakes upped. The part where Harry dies and he goes to the afterworld, I love the way that that's directed and he talks to Dumbledore and all of that stuff. I think that this movie has a lot of great scenes that we are perhaps sleeping on. And my case for number six is Half-Blood Prince. I know a lot of people have it ranked at number six or lower. And honestly, I just think Half-Blood Prince is more of a tonal nightmare than Deathly Hollows Part 2 because it tries to have its fun in games and it's a much better and more entertaining movie than Order of the Phoenix, but it also takes place in a post-Order of the Phoenix Harry Potter franchise. And I really think it has a hard time juggling with its tone because, I mean, like Dumbledore dies at the end of this movie and the rest of it is like a rom-com like really stupid movie and it looks ugly so really i think it belongs number six i have to hard disagree i know i probably have half-blood prince higher than anybody else on this list but i'm gonna take nate's side here and i'll put a vote to half-blood prince being here too okay let me finish my argument here josh let me let me just say a couple things here quick okay i'm sorry i thought i thought we were voting what you were saying about Deathly Hallows 2 having scenes that are slept on, I really like the King's Cross scene too. However, as far as scenes that are slept on, I really love all of the scenes with the pensive in Half-Blood Prince. Any scene with Horace Slughorn is fantastic. I really like the scene at the end where they retrieve the fake locket from the uh, that weird pedestal with the zombies when Harry and Dumbledore go off on their own little adventure at the end there too. And I would argue that it's not as much of a tonal nightmare as you remember it. I think that the first half of the movie is definitely filled with a lot of that juggling that happens when you go from scenes like uh, like Hermione getting drunk at the pub and Slughorn being like, oh, you and uh, Harry should come to my dinner party sometime to uh, Katie Bell being cursed by that necklace. It is a little jarring, but I don't think that it hits that same tone for much of the third act i think that the third act 
is very well established into being the little bit higher stakes going on. And when the Death Eaters finally come in and invade and Dumbledore is killed, we're far off from any fun and games. And it's been clear like that for a while. That's my problem, though. It feels like a totally different movie. The entire series has had those fun and games. Half-Blood Prince is just the one that does it to the most extremes. I feel like there's always a balance, though, with every movie. It's a polarizing film in terms of it has kind of the most wacky teenage rom-com kind of vibes, but it also has the most kind of um, action movie kind of consequences and things like that. I do agree it needed that that polarity and it needed that. I just don't think it was handled well. I mean, it's really cheesy at the end where we've had like an hour at this point of Ron complaining that his lips are chapped because he's getting so much action. And then Dumbledore, your headmaster, gets assassinated by Snape. And the only person who sees it is Harry. Like, it's sus, bro. Alden, what's your take? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Okay, well, you're voting. No, I, I think it, I think number six is fine. We're between ha- Half-Blood Prince or Deathly Hallows 2 for number six. Oh, I was agreeing with you, Nate. Sorry. Can I just say another thing real quick? Yeah, as I'm writing down Half-Blood Prince... Or- as you're writing down Half-Blood Prince, that's fine. Half-Blood Prince was not that rom-com the entire time. Sure, it's peppered in throughout, but even sequences like when Harry's arriving to Hogwarts in this movie, Draco Malfoy almost sends him back to London with a broken nose, frozen under an invisibility cloak. Everything that happens at the end with the tone with Dumbledore being killed has been foreshadowed up to this point with Draco Malfoy possibly being a Death Eater and doing shady shit behind the scenes of everything. But all of the students at Hogwarts are too busy fucking around to notice anything. Sure, you've got those fun little things, but they're side plots towards the main story that's going on in the background. I do really like I I do really like the Slughorn stuff with the flashback that was or the memory that was altered. The memory that's altered, then they have to go get it. Where uh, Slughorn is the one that tells Voldemort about Horcruxes, and that's how we learn about it as well. Uh, the whole Liquid Luck sequence where Harry goes to yeah, it's probably some of the best Quidditch since the first movie. Yeah. I just, I think that there's more to love about Half-Blood Prince than there is, too, about Deathly Hallows 2, in my opinion. Uh, Jory, it's your pick now with number five. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) Hang on. Wait, so number five. All right, let's go with the lowest movie that I haven't talked about yet. I think that this might be a little bit of a hot take, but Goblet of Fire. I have Goblet of Fire at my number five. I'm going to veto. Nice. I didn't have to use it. <laughs> I can put uh part two here, right? Yeah, you sure can. Yeah, well I'm going to. Oh, 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 never mind. Part Deathly Hallows 2. I forgot that we didn't even place that. You don't even have to use that. <laughs> Deathly Hallows 2 is my number five pick. Alright, Veto returned. Uh sure. future Nate's gonna love this edit. Alright, so my number five pick is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows 2, since we just placed Half-Blood Prince. All right, podcast listeners are going to get a nice gag there, and YouTube listeners are going to be so uh, unacknowledged. It's going to be great. My number four is going to be Goblet of Fire. Yeah, all right, V2 is used here. This is a hot take, but... It's not Sorcerer's Stone. <laughs> uh, Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone. So I'm making a case for Goblet of Fire being here, and you're making a case for Sorcerer's Stone be here? All right. Well, the reason I think Goblet of Fire belongs at number 
four is while I agree that it is a very entertaining movie, I think it lacks a lot of substance. And I think it's after two movies that have progressively elevated stakes and the consequences of this amazing magical wizarding world that we have been invited into. I think that both chamber of secrets brings this kind of more domestic conflict to mind with Hogwarts and the way that its structure works. And then with prisoner of Azkaban, we get kind of a broader spectrum sense to maybe everything that's in this wonderful wizarding world. Isn't so wonderful. Maybe there's a lot of negative behind it too. And there's a lot of like controversies and things that are going on outside of the four walls of Hogwarts. There's these rumors of Voldemort returning and then hit that payoff is just really not that cool. I think that Goblet of Fire has this Triwizard Tournament thing as like the epicenter. And I almost just wish that this movie decided to go full off. This is just the fun one. And it doesn't. It has a lot of fun moments, but it takes the stakes of that Triwizard Tournament a little too seriously. When Voldemort returns and kills Cedric Diggory, it's like, okay, kind of a tonal nightmare again. Very similar to Half-Blood Prince. I disagree with the Triwizard Tournament was being too seriously because you have this 14-year-old kid going into a tournament that's supposed to be for older kids. And this tournament, one of the first things Dumbledore says is in this speech that you could die from it. So I think the character Harry Potter was supposed to take the tournament very seriously. And I think it was a good parallel to how... This is one of the only times I feel like they really took advantage that Harry Potter, the character, is a celebrity in this wizarding world, which he needs to be, for some reason, he's always at the center of everything. And finally, you see that have an effect on his friends, like with Ron. So I think Goblet of Fire touches on a lot of things well about the character of Harry Potter himself and how he is placed and how he's, yeah. he is opinionated in this world more than what the other movies have done before. Personally, I don't think that it's a tonal nightmare, but then again, I don't think that Half-Blood Prince is that much of a tonal nightmare either. I am definitely, I've definitely bought into the series a lot more than you have, Nate, though. So I think that for my, for my own suspension of disbelief, the Triwizard Tournament works for me, and everything that's going on under it with uh, Mad-Eye Moody, who is actually Barty Crouch Jr., um, rigging all of the events to be more dangerous than they are essentially and still help Harry get through them so that nobody but Harry makes it to the graveyard at the end. All of that's fine with me. It's just I take a lot of issue with putting any of these movies over Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone because Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is my personal favorite. I think that it's by far the most impressive movie in the series. I think that it does the most to expand to um, introduce us to the wizarding world and of course it does it's the first one but at the same time harry's introduction to the wizarding world is our introduction to the wizarding world and nothing that gets introduced into the series later ever feels more magical than even the more mundane things in in sorcerer's stone where it's like oh shit he gets to have a pet owl that shit's wild i wish i got to have a pet owl oh shit harry has to fight a dragon eh, that's kind of scary <laughs> Yeah, and you want to talk about Harry feeling like a celebrity. He feels more like a celebrity in Sorcerer's Stone than he does in Goblet of Fire. He goes from 
he goes from living under a cupboard under the stairs and being shit on by his entire adoptive family to everywhere he goes everybody knows his name and he's this mega celebrity even the first time he meets ron when he's sitting in the uh station he's like do you actually have that scar like you're a fucking legend dude yeah, but they yeah, they introduce it, but I think Goblet of Fire was the first time where they kind of questioned it where are people close around him going to be jealous is But that's the thing. I never I always hated whenever they tried to introduce storylines like, oh, Ron's jealous of Harry, and it's like Yeah, that's that's Ron's character. I think it fits because Ron's Ron's a loser. <laughs> he's got a family. He's he's just the middle class wizard. That's what Ron is. And Harry is this fucking Kardashian-level celebrity who... Ron's got a broken stick and, like, fucks up his spells through the whole entirety of Chamber of Secrets. That's in Chamber of Secrets. He's not a loser, he's poor. I, I really don't think we can sacrifice Sorcerer's Stone to elevate Goblet of Fire. I'm sorry. Nate, can I veto a veto still? You can still veto a veto, but now it's Goblet of Fire versus whatever you choose to veto. Cool, then I'm gonna do what's left. <laughs> Chamber of Secrets and Prisoner of Azkaban. Okay, Chamber of Secrets. The thing is, Chamber of Secrets is my number four, but Philosopher's Stone is my next lowest. I'm fine with either Chamber of Secrets or Philosopher's Stone, Sorcerer's Stone, moving forward. I, I just, I don't find Sorcerer's Stone to be that great of a movie, and I've explained this in the past, but... Yeah, but you haven't really. You've just said that you were forced to watch it in school. <laughs> Yeah, that's just part of the disdain, right? I don't like it because as soon as Hagrid gets him, as soon as the brick wall moves and completely just opens up into a doorway, that's the entire sequence that I like. The rest of it is kind so of boring. the entirety me. of Diagon Alley after that brick wall opens up is boring? No, I'm saying that's the only part that's not. Like, he goes to Hogwarts, that's cool. Stairs are moving, that's cool, but... I don't find it that interesting. I think that you're going to have a really hard time convincing anybody of that. I don't think that you could call any of these movies dull, including the ones that are on the bottom of the list. I don't expect to change anyone's mind here. I'm just saying, I don't put this very high. I don't think this movie is that great. And I know for most of you, it's probably going to be top three. So Josh... Tell us why Chamber of Secrets needs to go in the number four spot. When you compare it to its predecessor, Sorcerer's Stone, I think Chamber of Secrets does have a lot of cool, iconic moments. I just like the theming of uh, both Sorcerer's Stone and Goblet of Fire better. I like in Sorcerer's Stone where every part of the trio had something to do and they felt useful. And then in Chamber of Secrets, it was just kind of like, well, Hermione's... Hermione's in the hospital, uh, Ron's there, but he's behind rocks with Lockhart, who lost his memory, and Lockhart is there for some reason. We put him in the chamber. There's just a lot of things where, where it's just like, for some reason, they're doing this. It just felt like there were, there were storylines that I think would have been better, I'm sure were handled better in the book, like Hagrid potentially opening the Chamber of Secrets. I, I didn't buy it. Even as a kid, I never bought that. I'm like, somebody else opened that as entertaining as Sorcerer's Stone or as Goblet of Fire. To me, Goblet of Fire is uh, what I want in a Harry Potter movie. I think it's a lot of fun. I think the Triwizard Tournament is it was a great thing to have for the whole movie. I like that not only it, it, it gave us an entertaining plot uh, throughout the film for 
all of the students. Like that was something that was talked about throughout Hogwarts. So you felt like the entire school had something to do about it. It's not like with the, it's not like with the other things in the other movies where it's kind of focused on that small group of people that know the whole school knew this was going on. So it felt like Harry was in the spotlight more than ever. And, and I like that the ending, you see the return of Voldemort. It took four movies to get Voldemort in his form. And I thought the way they built up to it, I thought was very cool because you see hints of it in the beginning. That's how the film starts. Not only are guys like Sirius Black in danger, now students are endangered. Like this actually happened to a student. And I think Goblet of Fire just did a lot of really cool things. I think it was on our bracket for the highest grossing movie for a reason. I think this was for a lot of people when things started to shift in the gear. I think Prisoner of Azkaban was a great start to that, but I think Goblet of Fire was like, okay, I want to see where this continues. Um, I agree with your assessment of the ending of Goblet of Fire. I think Voldemort coming back is handled very well in that movie. However, for me, where it starts to kind of get muddied up is in the execution of the next movie. Wouldn't that be a positive for how well Goblet executed that you found Order of the Phoenix disappointing? Uh, that's one way to put it. But here's something else that is, here's something else to put for uh, Goblet of Fire. You mentioned in Chamber of Secrets how it doesn't really feel like anything is happening for reasons. I completely disagree on the thing that it's not happening for reasons and also that things aren't happening to students. But the entire reason that it petrifies Hermione is because Hermione figured out how it worked and in looking for it ended up getting herself petrified. I think that there's so much more to Chamber of Secrets than you're giving it credit for. The Everything that Ron does in the movie, he gets him to Hogwarts, the entire flying car sequence, meeting the Weasleys, like going to the burrow. That's all great. Um, everything with the Basilisk, Ginny Weasley, the Tom Riddle stuff, and Hagrid opening the chamber. You were never supposed to think that Hagrid opened the Chamber of Secrets. He didn't. He was framed by Tom Riddle. Yeah. I thought you were taking it from Harry's perspective there, and you were like, okay, obviously it could have been Hagrid, you know? Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was kind of dumb for the characters to believe that right away. But it was the characters that were in the time and the place who wouldn't have any way of knowing and thought that Aragog was the monster and not the Basilisk. Yeah, I just remember the Basilisk being so frightening to me as a little kid. And I think that's because I was allowed to watch the first few Harry Potter movies when I was a bit younger. I found the Basilisk to be a very frightening movie monster. Well, I didn't I didn't say I didn't say scary. I said creepy and uh unnatural and i think that was the rebirth of baltimore was very it felt very uh, i don't want to use a star wars term but very sith like the unnatural dark magic all right alden where do you stand between these uh honestly i'm with josh i i honestly think that if any of these movies are gonna be on our list and be considered underrated it's gonna be chamber of secrets but I do think Josh made a really good point for Goblet of Fire. And there are a lot of things I really enjoy about that movie as well. And really just the way that Josh described the return of Voldemort really kind of brought it home for me that I do think Goblet of Fire is probably a more iconic Harry Potter movie than Chamber of Secrets. I still disagree, but okay, that's three to right. one, Chamber I suppose. of Secrets is going at number four. Jory, since you got snubbed last, how about you nominate what movie should be at number three? Well, my next up would be Goblet of Fire. 
I agree. I don't know. I don't think that that one iconic scene in Goblet of Fire is enough to push it over what are my two favorite Harry Potter movies. And I know that that's a personal statement, but I feel like there's so much more going on in both Sorcerer's Stone and Prisoner of Azkaban compared to the film version of Goblet of Fire. So I think that it deserves number three. I think that we're at the point in this discussion where these are probably like the three most beloved Harry Potter movies, at least to the four people on this panel. I really don't think Goblet of Fire is a better movie than either Sorcerer's Stone or Prisoner of Azkaban here. I I do. It's not going to be Sorcerer's Stone, Alden. <laughs> For me, it's between Goblet of Fire and Sorcerer's Stone. If, if you don't want it to be Sorcerer's Stone, Prisoner of Azkaban is fine here for me as well prisoner of azkaban is not only the best adaptation from book to film it's also the most unique and the best directed it also is the best shot i really think that if we're talking about movies here prisoner of azkaban is the definitive harry potter movie okay we're not at number one yet so (laughs) we'll get there there. but it's definitely not number three it's certainly not number three i'm also to a point where i think all three of these films are s-tier harry potter films to me and it's uh it's really hard to really uh criticize um each of them from each other now for me so i don't know what more i could say about goblet of fire compared to sorcerer's stone isn't really adding is i really like the triwizard tournament it's one of my favorite sequences out of the entire franchise? Actually, I didn't mention I really like seeing uh, students from other schools. I think Goblet of Fire was... Yeah, the other schools was... Yeah, that's the biggest thing for Goblet of Fire, for me at least. Yeah, it definitely like is one of the best Harry Potter movies that expanded on the world. To learn that there were other schools was really interesting. And the Quidditch World Cup was a really cool start to the movie. And I believe it's the first time they go to Hogsmeade, right? No, that is Azkaban. Oh, hell yeah, it is. I forgot. I mixed those two scenes up. It is definitely an Azkaban. I don't know. I really like Goblet of Fire. And I don't, I didn't really like it as a kid, but as I watched it again, Hagrid and the giant, I forget her name, I kind of like that, that entire uh, chemistry. Yeah, Hagrid's, uh, Hagrid's love story is slept on. Yeah. Goblet of Fire is definitely a very fun film. And I don't think that any of us are arguing that it isn't. The Triwizard Tournament is great. Seeing the students from other schools is great. Seeing Cedric Diggory, who's probably like the first relevant Hufflepuff in a movie, is great. And the last relevant Hufflepuff. The first and last relevant Hufflepuff. The only Hufflepuff that matters. Somebody is going to come at us in the comments for that. I think there's a lot more substance to both of those than there is to Goblet of Fire. You see a little glimmer of it in the ending sequence where Voldemort finally returns and when um, Harry's parents like come and help him as ghosts and then like uh, Barty Crouch Jr. is revealed like there are glimmers of it but I think that the movie version largely skirts away from what substance there is in Goblet of Fire in the books because there is so much and I hate to be the guy that brings this up Prisoner of Azkaban and Sorcerer's Stone do a lot more with their source material and a lot more with the implications of the events for all of the characters than Goblet of Fire does, because Goblet of Fire kind of treats it like, okay, these are events and they're happening. That's about it. Yeah, I think the Triwizard Tournament is actually the thing I like the most about Goblet of Fire. I think that, to me, is the thing that screams Hogwarts the most, and that screams, like, 
expanding upon the lore. So I I agree with you there. Uh, yeah. Because the lore is so well established and the stakes are well so well established prior to this movie that it doesn't contribute much more to the character development other than I guess the how Ron's upset with Harry for being so famous. But to me that feels kind of contrived after four great years of friendship at that point. Well, the Goblet of Fire sets it up where there's there's finally something important going on in Hogwarts that Harry can't be a part of, and then he somehow gets a part of it. And I think that's kind of the breaking point of everybody where it's like, come on. But the treatment of it is more treated like Ron is upset that Harry didn't tell him that he put his name into the Goblet of Fire, which is just some high-tier petty bullshit that I don't think Ron would ever cross Ron's mind. He's a 14-year-old child. Yeah, he's got, like, hormones and shit. He was a 13, 12, and 11-year-old child in the previous movies, and none of this was an His issue. His hormone monster was being mean to him, goddammit. <laughs> Josh, you're right. I should have watched Big Mouth. <laughs> I just watched it yesterday, and it doesn't sell for me still today. I don't know. I hate it whenever they try to pit them against each other in ways that are artificial. At least in Deathly Hallows 1, you can I, explain I like it all that. with the... I like that they fight and then they get over it with early, because I feel like that's what I would have done with my 14-year-old best friend, where it felt like nothing after. But they don't get over it early. It takes two uh, challenges for them to get over it. Well, so it sounds like we've got two votes for Goblet of Fire going to number three, and then what, two votes for Sorcerer's Stone going at number three? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah. All right, well, Jory, do you want to call upon our designated tiebreaker? Maybe I should call my mom. She likes Harry Potter a lot more. <laughs> Phone a friend. I would say if your mom's a bigger fan. Where's Megan? She's over in the other room. You want me to ask her? Yeah, ask Megan. All right, Megan will be our tiebreaker then. Me Megan said Sorcerer's Stone. Hell yeah. Wait a minute. Sorcerer's Stone moving on or Sorcerer's Stone lower than Goblet of Fire? No, number three. Number three should be Sorcerer's Stone. I think Goblet of Fire's been on the chopping block for a while. It's Ratatouille its way to the top two. I think Goblet of Fire is going at number two. Honestly, it's Goblet of Fire. Prisoner of Azkaban is not going below Goblet of Fire. Yeah, no, these two are so close together for me, but I cannot make an argument for Goblet of Fire being better. That's because it's not. <laughs> I, I like it better, but... We would have had a really interesting debate between Sorcerer's Stone and Prisoner of Azkaban. But no, we just had to have Goblet of Fire move on. And now we're debating <laughs> against one movie that is clearly better than the other. I'm completely with Nate on this. This is such a shit list anymore. Okay. I don't know what to talk about Goblet of Fire. Does Megan want to chime in actually and try to get Goblet of Fire to win this? No, I think her, her I think her literal only thing that was the selling point was that all the boys have emo haircuts and that elevates it one step further. Oh yeah. The sex appeal of Goblet of Fire is greater than that of Sorcerer's Stone. <laughs> Thank God for that. All the main characters are 11 in Sorcerer's Stone. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well is he going to try to p p defend Goblet of Fire over Prisoner of Azkaban? I have no idea how you guys let him get it this far already. <laughs> it's my number one. How am I able to, like, politically drive my way through these lists every week? Because you made a good case against Chamber of Secrets. My mom did say Sorcerer's Stone goes above. <laughs> Wait, does Jory's mom use a veto? <laughs> <laughs> I just think Goblet of Fire is a little funner to me. 
Maybe it's a little bit of nostalgia why it's number one. I think so, maybe. Prisoner of Azkaban, I mean, is also a fucking well-made movie. I mean, this, I love the opening sequence of it with Harry um, lighting up the book under the blanket and then the uh, the logo comes up. Like, it's so great. And the the editing is just so top-notch. Like, some of the transitions are so beautifully done. Everything with uh, Sirius Black and the time travel... I think for a lot of people, this was their turning point where this is not only a fun little kids fantasy um, series, it's now a full-fledged, like, this is our generation Star Wars, this is our franchise, like, this is going to be a big thing. Yeah, no, Prisoner of Azkaban is crazy well done. I think the cinematography by Michael Saracen really just elevates it from all the other movies. It's not lit like a fucking sitcom, like, all the other movies are lit very poorly and yeah. this one is, yeah. is incredibly dynamic through and through i think it's the first time you kind of start to look at these characters instead of being just kids you start to look at them as maybe role models if you're watching it as a kid and i think that prisoner of azkaban is is really funny i love all the the moments where uh hermione's cat is attacking ron's stupid mouse like there's great comedy bits too that a lot of people sleep on. Everyone looks at Prisoner of Azkaban as being too moody or being too dark for what it is. And I think it has the best blend in the it has the most consistent tone all the way through, even if that tone is dynamic. I think it has I think that's the only movie that does a perfect blend of both you have the charm of the first two movies and then you have some of the dark elements of the later movies into one really well made film. And I think that's Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, and I think how after the climax of the movie, it has this resolution, additional stakes added time travel moment. I think that's really neat. And I think that's really unique, too, is not too many places would add something so broad to a, a fantasy uh, story that's already very high concept. Just adding time travel in the third act is crazy to me. And also, this was the first movie with the recasting of uh, Dumbledore. Mm, it was doesn't have much screen time in this one, though, if I'm not mistaken. He just, the way he talks as Dumbledore, like, the confidence he gives that character. I think the original was great, and I think both of them work in their respected movies, but he definitely uh, gave Dumbledore, like, a different flavor that I really liked. Yeah, it's also important to note that this was the first movie that wasn't directed by Chris Columbus. Uh, You know, there was a lot of firsts for Prisoner of Azkaban, and it was perhaps a more risky sequel to make than chamber of secrets and i think it elevated the stakes and also brought the the film itself to higher levels taking those risks you're, you're definitely right this is kind of like the british avengers sometimes when you see these great actors in this franchise <laughs> yeah all, every important british actor is in this franchise at some point where's simon Pegg? ian mckellen was going to be dumbledore and sean connery was going to be gandalf once upon a time jory you seem awfully quiet are you okay I'm fine. I just feel like there's nothing to be said here. This isn't an argument. There's a lot of great stuff that I want to say about Prisoner of Azkaban, but I feel like it's wasted if I'm saying, like, oh, Prisoner of Azkaban is better than Goblet of Fire for all of these reasons, because, like, a fucking course it is. <laughs> like, I would have rather had an actual argument be here than I could be having some fun with it and playing devil's advocate a little bit, but I feel like it's, like, almost bullying. <laughs> Simon Pegg was not in Harry Potter. 
I don't think I don't think Sorcerer's Stone would have had a fight against Prisoner of Azkaban either. I, I think, think Sorcerer I don't think it would have either. I think Sorcerer's Stone probably would have lost to Prisoner of Azkaban. But the thing is, I feel like it would have been a better fight. No, here's the thing: it would have. Prisoner was going to win this. That movie, from a filmmaking standpoint, Nate's right is miles ahead of anything yeah, else. Yeah, it on definitely here. is, Josh. And I'm not arguing that Prisoner of Azkaban wouldn't have been number one. I'm just saying that Sorcerer's Stone would have had a better fight than Goblet of Fire does. We're fighting about fighting over movies, guys. We've reached a new low in this quarantine. Everyone's going to go through and say their top eight. I'm going to start, then Josh, then Jory, then Alden. So my number eight was Deathly Hollows Part 1. My number seven was Order of the Phoenix. My number six was Half-Blood Prince. My number five was Goblet of Fire. My number four was Sorcerer's Stone. My number three was Deathly Hollows Part 2. My number two was Chamber of Secrets. And my number one was Prisoner of Azkaban. My number eight is Chamber of Secrets. My number seven is uh, Half-Blood Prince. My number six is Order of the Phoenix. My number five is uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2. My number four is Deathly Hallows Part 1. My number three is Sorcerer's Stone. My number two is Prisoner of Azkaban. And my number one is Goblet of Fire. My number eight is Order of the Phoenix. Number seven is Deathly Hallows 1. Then Deathly Hallows 2, Goblet of Fire, Half-Blood Prince, Chamber of Secrets, Prisoner of Azkaban, and Sorcerer's Stone. My number 8 is Deathly Hallows Part 1, then Order of the Phoenix, then Sorcerer's Stone, then Part 2, then Chamber of Secrets, Half-Blood Prince, Prisoner of Azkaban, and Goblet of Fire. I'm not... Yeah, okay, well, this was fun. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Duel of the Takes podcast. Next week's topic of discussion will be another ranking-style challenge. All the Spider-Man movies will go head-to-head. If you want to check out our YouTube video on today's episode, be sure to subscribe to Nathaniel R. Martin. And as always, if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.